0: Welcome to The State of Us. Beyond mainstream cable news and party lines, with a millennial and a boomer, The State of Us pushes past the noise and uncovers all the issues that matter. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller.
1: The workforce is more diverse in age and race, and a recent survey found that for organizations that are profitable, a move from no female leadership to at least 30% representation was associated with an increase of 15%. 15% in net revenue margins. This episode is the second installment of a two-episode segment. Recently, The State of Us released an episode on the challenges men face today. And with this next installment, we're reviewing the challenges women face today. With about half of the 320 million Americans being women and the other half of the population undoubtedly knowing at least one woman, Issues facing both genders should not only concern all of us, but they inevitably affect each of us. Today, we get to speak with someone at the forefront of the effort to break down barriers for women. Janice Ellig is Chief Executive Officer of Ellig Group in New York, where she is dedicated to increasing the placement of women and diverse candidates on corporate boards and in company leadership. Heralded by Bloomberg Businessweek as one of the world's most influential headhunters, Janice is often consulted for her expertise and her commitment to gender parity, inclusion, and
0: diversity. Janice,
1: thanks for joining us today.
0: I'm delighted. Thank you, Justin. Well, we're excited
1: to have you here today, Janice, and get into this conversation. But of course, we couldn't begin to discuss
2: gender parity, business, and the economy without your friendly redneck liberal, Lance Jackson. It's great to be here, and I'm excited about this topic. So let's go ahead and jump right in.
1: Uh, You know, this is a, a topic that's near and dear to us at True Chat, and uh, we're we're really pleased, and I want listeners to know too, that if they want more on this topic, because we're just doing this one episode on the State of Us today, that they should absolutely take a look at your podcast, Leadership Reimagined, uh, which you can find anywhere podcasts are found. So thanks again for being here, and we'll get right into it. Um, the Wall Street Journal recently reported that all S&P 500 companies now have at least one female board member with 27% of all board seats filled by women, up from 17% in 2012. This probably seems like good news to a lot of people. The question is, is this good enough? And where do we need to go?
0: So that is great progress. It's, um, you know, one and done is not good enough. It should be four and more. And um, I started in 2010 when I was president of the Women's Forum. I was an event called the Breakfast of Corporate Champions. And there we honor companies that in 2019 had 30% or more women on their boards. And so we honored companies of 323 companies that were at that threshold. And there were 26 companies that had 50% or more. So that's less than 3% of the Fortune 1000 in S&P 500. That is not where we should be, right? 3% is a very low number. Um, So we say that you can get to parity, which is 50% or more by 2025, if you fill every other opening of the S&P 500 with... A woman, and there are about 425 openings a year. And so, if you fill about 200 of those openings, forget term limits—you fill 200 of those openings in the next six years. That's 1,200 seats. Women currently hold a thousand seats. That's about 2,200 seats of the 5,000 S&P seats that are currently, you know, right. out there. You're there. So it's really simple math. Yeah. If you're intentional and you're focused, you can get there. So by 2025, that's where we should be. Not 3%, but 50%.
1: So it's perfectly, I mean, as you outlined, it's perfectly doable. It's just a question of the motivation and the means, right, to make it happen. And part of what you do on your podcast is actually talk to business leaders who are making it happen,
2: right? So you make the math work and it's very easy to understand how that's possible. But speaking of board seats and company leadership... California recently passed a law requiring gender parity on boards for select companies. You have a nuanced position on this. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what your stance is?
0: So I am not in favor of quotas, uh, but in Europe... And across, you know, Europe and even the Far East, they do have quotas. There are about twenty-three companies that have legislation or mandates, so to speak. And like in the UK, they have targets. Right. So I believe that if you have targets or you have mandates, um, it's been working over there. And I think that it's a good test case for California to do this. And I think Illinois and New York and their other states that are proposing this. So let's see what happens in California. There have been changes. And I think that this is a a good way for others to say, well, maybe we should take it upon ourselves to do it and not have the mandate. So I think others are saying, let's go ahead and, you know, It'd be intentional, be focused and move the needle. So we have moved it to 27%. I think we're going to see greater um, intentionality and focus by boards to put more women. I know as a search firm, I'm getting more of a request for women and people of color to mm-hmm. be on boards. So I think it is having an impact. And I think that that is good. If we don't get there by 2021, 2023, 2025, then I'm saying we do need quotas. We do need legislation because uh, it's not working by a voluntary measures.
1: Right. So it's kind of take the approach of hoping that companies will do it on their own with the proper motivation. Um, and then if they don't, you can always take that step at that point. Um, something that some people might wonder about, because this is a question that we get a lot, is we say we're a company and we want to increase, right, our our board um, leadership and the number of females and diverse candidates that we have on those boards or in our company C-suite. Um, what about the applicant pool itself? Because uh, this is something that at least I hear people bring up a lot, which is it can be hard to find somebody who's qualified and we don't want to just put somebody there as a token, right? I mean, we want them to be a valuable contributor who is as qualified, if not more qualified, than other people who are there. So, is that really a problem that's actually faced today? And if so, what's what's being done to combat that?
0: So, I think if you listen to the CEOs that we had on our panel uh, at the Breakfast of Corporate Champions. Um, And they come from industries like General Motors. So listen to Mary Barra, who will say, I insist upon a diverse panel. And there are highly qualified women who are entrepreneurs, who are running major divisions. They are out there. And if you can't find them on your own, then use a qualified search firm who will show you a very diverse slate of candidates. So, And look at the business case for diversity. The Wall Street Journal recently did a research um, of analysts in, in industries, and they ranked companies that were high on diversity and inclusion. And the top 20 companies ranked really high on inclusion and in diversity with regard to innovation. And with regard to their average annual Total rate of return of their stock over a five-year period was uh, ten percentage points higher than the lowest twenty percent of companies, which were at four percent and twelve percent. And you can look at this study, but it's so the total rate of return of stock um, of these companies was much higher. And so, also on innovation and getting more companies to recruit employees, everything points to a much better return, much better in terms of being able to find employees, employer of choice, shareholder return. And so when you look at these companies, the top 20 and the first one on the top is Progressive Insurance. And Tricia Griffith is the CEO of that company. I did a podcast with Tricia Trisha's been with that company 30 years. She ran uh, different divisions. She ran HR. And she is an outstanding CEO with a very diverse board, a very diverse group of employees at the top. And her head of HR says in this article that, you know, you need better products and services. Your consumers have choices today. And unless you're going to be innovative, you're not going to be that uh, consumer. The consumer's not going to go to you. So everything points to a more diverse an inclusive culture, better return to consumers, better return to employees. And so that's where you want to be.
1: Well, we actually just covered um, back before the holidays, we did an episode from the conference board. They released a report um, on social change and how important it's become uh, when people are looking at potential employers, how much they consider where do companies stand on issues I care about. And one of those issues um, tends to be uh, parental leave. And do they have a policy for it? What is the policy? How good is the policy? Um, And how seriously do they take uh, promoting people of minority groups into leadership? You know, how active are they at that? So I think you know, there's there's a whole world to break down of how involved should corporate America be in social change? But at the same time, um, it looks like uh, it's definitely moving in the right direction in terms of the employees are starting to have that mindset of expecting and wanting to see that diverse leadership. Um, And ultimately, I'd assume that's going to help drive the top level leadership to make those changes if they know that that's something that, especially in a tight labor market, that potential um, candidates for the jobs they need filled are looking for that type of setup. So it's certainly doable, it sounds like. And I mean, that's what you do at LA Group, right? Uh, You're an executive search firm.
0: Well, yes. And, and, and when we are recruiting candidates, they are not going to go to a company that isn't not purpose driven. Right. They're not going to go to a company where they don't see people like them. Mm-hmm. If And if they don't see people like them, they're going to say, if I can't see it, I can't be it. And they want to see that the policies are going to be friendly to both men and women right so you want to be have parental leave that is going to be uh for men and women that they can be taking time off not just for you know having children but also elder care and sure. o- other things like that
1: well cuz we talked about a little bit before we got started today the i think one of those things people don't think about is if you're offering maternity leave but you don't have a program for the men then even though it may seem like you're doing a good thing, you're inadvertently suggesting that the only person who should go take care of the children is the woman. And if that's not the arrangement that uh, you have with your partner, then there's no reason that a company should be making it so that only the woman has that choice, where if they make it so the man has that choice, then the two can decide maybe we want to split it or maybe – uh the man wants to do it, right? And it's not all about the woman having to do it.
0: Yeah, it's not like the nineteen eighties or the nineteen nineties anymore. Couples want to both be taking care of that child or those parents. And so I think that's where the policies today are changing dramatically. Right. To be neutral, both for health benefits And for leave benefits. And so the visionary companies are doing that. And so that's why you also want to have more females at the top in both in the C suite and running companies. So now, you know, we have over 35 females running companies in the Fortune 500 and the S and P 500. And those policies make a difference. And it, it, it's attractive to those employees going to those companies at all ages. You know, more millennials are coming into the workforce, right? And right. so you're not going to attract those employees unless they're going to see that those policies are going to be friendly to both men and women. And and if you want to be the employer of choice and you want to be visionary and you want to be innovative, you've got to attract, you know, you have to have a multi-generational workforce. And so those top 20 companies that are referenced in this business case for uh, diversity, the Wall Street Journal report that I'm referring to, uh, you have to be, you know, the top 20 companies.
1: So we've got that article linked, as always, at thestateofus.org. So for any of you out there who want to follow along and see what Janice is talking about, again, thestateofus.org. Uh, there's articles there. Also, all the ways to tune in. We've got more to come with Janice Ellig. We're still going to be talking about education, careers, and life at home. Keep it here on the State of Us, and we'll be right back.
0: We are the State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller
1: heralded by Bloomberg Businessweek as one of the world's most influential headhunters. Janice Ellig is often consulted for her expertise and her commitment to gender parity inclusion and diversity. She's here with us today for that very reason We've talked a little bit about corporate leadership, the S&;P 500, where things stand and where things are headed And to wrap that up um, this is a stat that Janice and I discussed a little bit before the program. according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the college enrollment rate, for high school graduates is now higher for women than it is for men. However, by contrast, a recent analysis found that as of January 2019, just a little over 7% of CEO roles at S&P 500 companies were held by women. So what's this mean for the decade ahead?
0: So I think that more women are going to uh, continue to uh, get their MBAs. Um, more women will continue to tr- try and rise up to that, uh, CEO role and more women who are in the CEO roles are going to pull women up with them. Uh, Maggie Wilderotter, who is, um, has been since the age of 28 on 32 boards. <laughs> she's a uh, Harvard case studies and she's one of my first podcasts that I did, Justin. Uh, she's quite remarkable, but she will say that uh, during her career, uh, and she was CEO of Frontier Communications and now just sits on boards, but she always had one hand r- moving, uh, pulling herself up and one hand behind her, pulling women. Along with her. And she always, when she went on a board, brought more women onto a board. And I think more women are doing that. So those 35 to 38 women who are on CEO positions today are bringing more women into the C suite. I think you're going to see that continue. I think we're going to have more women into the CEO role, but it's not been easy. Sure. It's been a very, because the rules had been made more by men. Mm -hmm. The paradigm is changing. So the CEO of Penn Mutual, Eileen McDonald, was uh, on the panel of CEOs at our Breakfast of Corporate Champions that is run by the Women's Forum of New York that I founded in 2011. Um, and we had this breakfast November of 2019. And as the CEO of Penn Mutual, she said, you know, she's a single mother. And she said, you know, I rearranged my schedule to as I'm raising my daughter. So I would be home in breakfast time. But I put in a full schedule. I was there at the end of the day. So the paradigm changes when a woman is running a company and she's got policies in place. And I think that's going to become more prevalent. And so I think then it changes the policies for other women in the company. And that is really important because then you don't have to make excuses. You can say, I do have to go to Johnny's game or I do need to leave. And then it gives men permission to do the same thing. So Mm -hmm. the policies change, the behaviors change. And uh, so corporate America does not have to be all about FaceTime. It really is... Family time, right? And people can bring their whole selves to work, and so the policies within companies, you know, are not are going to be neutral for men and women. But so the dynamic changes because women are running those companies to be more family friendly.
1: Well, in a recent um, workforce report that we actually reviewed, also indicated that a lot of companies are starting to become more flexible in when you work the hours they need you to work. Um, in part to meet workers demands that they be more flexible so that they can do things like raise a family, not just for the women, but for the men as well. So that there is that option of they can decide what times a day are more important for them. Um, You know, if they have things in the evening, maybe they can come in earlier or if they, you know, if they prefer to have that time in the morning, take their kids to school, make them breakfast, that type of stuff, they can have that time. So it's a, it's a matter, right, of um, understanding what workers are saying they need uh, and figuring out how you as an organization can meet that and the more diverse group of workers that you have, the better you're going to make sure you're meeting the demands of all your workers um, as opposed to just a select group of them.
2: Well, I'd just like to add that having brought up two daughters and who are both in the workforce uh, that have done that and listening to them now they're 31 and 27 and, and into their careers – that having more women in the workplace is really starting to change things. And it's opened my eyes as to different situations and taking a new look on them because I thought I had it all figured out. But listening to them, I now see where they come at the same problem in a different manner. And it's really helped me deal with uh, the women in my life when I'm working or as friends and seeing things from their points. So speaking, though, of women, and both my girls have graduated and both are working on uh advanced degrees, the next question here, women represent 58% of all graduates in social science, law, and business globally. Some 40% of MBA graduates in the United States are now women, according to the AACSB. A few months ago, we reported on data that suggested part of the reason women aren't making as much on average as men is because the fields they enter with their degrees don't pay as much. Is this a problem, or should our focus be on other components of the wage gap?
0: So I think of, oftentimes, too, women need to negotiate better on their first job, right? Mm-hmm. And they often don't. Uh, even, Why is that? Um, sometimes it's a self-confidence issue. Sometimes they are just not asking the questions. I can even say later in their careers, men will oftentimes answer my calls faster than women will. And mm. men want to know, what am I worth? Uh, so I think women really have to pay attention to the marketplace and be out there, uh, talking to others about, you know, what, what's available. They just have to ha- keep their heads up and, talking to people and not always have their heads down, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. This has been a problem for a long time. And Simmons School of Management's done studies on this, and some of it does come down to a self-confidence. You know, uh, it goes back to little boys in this classroom raising their hands right away, and little girls don't. Uh, it goes mm-hmm. back to the f- uh, sports field, and, you know, the guys look at the uh, scoreboard all the time. What am I worth? You know, what am I scoring? And girls don't. But that's changing. You know, so I just did a podcast with the first commissioner of the WNBA, Kathy Engelbert. And so women's basketball, you know, it's only been, um, around 24 years, uh, men's basketball has been around over 40 years. So they have the names of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. We don't have quite those names yet. So they're paid less. So we've got to raise, you know, uh, the uh, playing field uh, in sports as well, in terms of what women get paid versus what men get paid. Same thing in business. And so it's not necessarily always the jobs they go into, it's how they negotiate for themselves. And I think it's, in all areas.
1: Yeah. Well, and like you talked about, once women have those opportunities, it's also important that um, they've got that hand behind them bringing up others because it's that seeing that it's possible, right? Knowing that it can be done uh, makes them more likely hopefully to feel like they could do it too. Um, Because when you don't see that in your company leadership and you don't see those opportunities, it doesn't necessarily communicate to you uh, that there's anywhere for you to go. Uh, so,
0: and I always say to women, don't wait to be invited to the party. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've got to invite yourself there, and you've got to speak up for yourself too. When you know that others are getting paid potentially more, uh, and ask for the choice assignments. Don't uh, run the P and L. Don't always be in a staff role, or if you're in a staff role, then move into p and L role. But you have to you have to be paid what you're worth.
1: So we talked a little bit about this in the first segment, but I think it's a it's a crucial part of all this. Mothers work less in states where child care costs are higher and school days are shorter. Access to paid family leave has improved, but only about 16%, just 16% of private sector employees have access to it. Are child care costs and access to paid family leave areas that you believe are critical to improve the success of women?
0: This is a very big social issue. Um, you know, I think the. Uh, Candidates for president are debating this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot can be done at the local level. And I think it's a lot to do with public private partnerships, whether you're in New York City or you're in Knoxville, Tennessee, or you're in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I think that, you know, uh, the public private partnerships need to address this. And I think corporations are trying to address this. Um, and I think it, it really belongs there. I don't believe it belongs at the federal level. Mm-hmm. I do think that the the communities in which we're operating, uh, those uh, communities and those organizations need to work on this.
1: So this is something where that regional attention and different needs in different communities, right? Correct. Um, what a child needs in downtown uh, Manhattan is probably not going to be the same thing that they need in Idaho. Correct. So uh, expecting something at the federal level um, that's comprehensive, that does a good job, Uh, might be unrealistic.
0: Yes, and I think the monies get wasted at that level. And I so I think a an organization, whether you be um, Citibank and you have uh uh, you know sites in um, Atlanta or you have sites in New York City or you have sites in, as I say, in Omaha, it's going to be different costs. Mm -hmm. right? And so you can set up a child care center more easily, perhaps, in the Midwest than you can in New York City. Sure, But it depends. And I think every organization needs to look at what the needs are for their employees locally.
1: It's amazing. So much of what we talk about, so many of the issues that we talk about, always come back in one way or another to communication, Mm -hmm. whether that's in this case Women speaking up and, you know, making sure they're getting paid what they're worth or inviting themselves to the party if they're not getting invited or things like childcare and understanding and talking, right? If you're the leadership with your employees about what do they need, you know, what would make it easier for them to do a good job for you? It's that two-way communication that's so important. Um, And it's amazing just how many issues come back to that. So,
0: Justin, I think you're so right on that. And, you know, we were saying earlier about policies for individuals. Um, It does come down down to that communication. And talking with your boss, a great employee will produce results for you virtually or in the office. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be FaceTime. So if you talk about you really need to be at your son or your daughter's recital or whatever, you'll get the work done. You know, if you need to be at that eight a.m. recital, and then you'll work later, just communicate with your boss. Right, right, and have that communication from the top all the way down. So, we've been
1: talking with Janice Ellig. She's the chief executive officer of Ellig Group where she is dedicated to increasing the placement of women and diverse candidates on corporate boards and in company leadership. Janice, if people want to learn more about the work you're doing, they want to tune into your podcast, what's the best way to do
0: that? So on our website, we have all the podcasts and our website talks about everything that we are doing. Uh, So I welcome um, and I welcome them to contact us at uh, www.alliegroup.com.
1: Okay, pretty simple. They can go there and find the social media, the podcast, the whole nine yards, right? Thank you. Yes, and so special thanks to Janice for being here. We've got more to come. Lance and I um, are going to review what we've learned so far today, pick out some of the highlights, and talk to you about what's next. Keep it here on The State of Us, and we'll be right back.
0: We are The State of Us. Here's your host, Justin T. Weller.
1: The workforce is more diverse in age and race, and a recent survey found that for organizations that are profitable, a move from no female leadership to at least 30% representation was associated with an increase of 15% in net revenue margins. It seems like the business case for increasing women in corporate leadership is clear. Earlier in the program, for the first two segments, we got to speak with Janice Ellig. She is the CEO of Ella Group, where she's dedicated to increasing the placement of women and diverse candidates. So Lance and I got to ask her some questions. And now we get to kind of break down and share with you what our takeaways were, and also kind of what we think is on the horizon. So, so with that, Lance, after this, I think, pretty good conversation with Janice, what do you think uh, the most important thing for our audience to take away? are, Or what are some things that we didn't get to yet that you want to discuss?
2: As Janice pointed out, these companies that have followed the example that that she has been promoting and her company have been promoting have seen the bottom line grow. So I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have from talking to her is that there really isn't a reason not to do this because there's the humanity side of it that, you know, equality and all those things that, that I believe in that are reasons to do it. But then there's also the corporate bottom line reason to do it as well. So I don't see any place in there for negativity as, well, we can't do this or we shouldn't do this because, number one, it should be the right thing to do and there are plenty of qualified people to take it. And number two, your company is going to make more money if you do it.
1: The biggest takeaway, right, is there's really not a good reason not to do it. And just from a logic standpoint, I think it makes sense. We know that if you are trying to solve a problem and you bring more viewpoints into it, I mean, that's kind of the the whole purpose of the state of us, right, is we're trying to look at these things from a different angle. And Lance and I have some very different life experiences, but especially when we get listeners who provide input and share their perspective or experience. Uh, You've talked about a lot about, you know, your life experience, having coached uh, countless women, having taught countless women, having two daughters, right? Right. And having a wife, all of that has changed your perspective on things or broaden the horizon. And I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you think that's all for the better. Exactly.
2: Um, No, it it is. And I think that it's something that more people need to experience because then all of a sudden you start to see things through their eyes that even if you were trying to, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, but you you see things and you try to be open-minded. But then when you talk to, to them and you get their viewpoint is like, oh, wow, I never even thought of that, but it makes sense, you know, and it's logical. So, and that's why I think that these companies are seeing a growth in revenue when they diversify their boards, because things are being said and things are being brought up that they've never thought of before that help them make more money. So exactly. I do think it's a good thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. I just wish that it would happen sooner. And I still, so I have some concerns with what Janice talked about in it, making it by 2025, but I hope she's right. You know, I mean, I hope it does. I'll try to be an optimist and that, well, that the it math, will take place.
1: I mean, we, we heard, right? The math is there. The, the question is not if it's doable. The question is, will it happen?
2: But if the people in charge of these S&P 500 companies are to hire a woman for every other position, Well, in a sense, that's a quota. I know why they don't want quotas because you want the people to get the job based on their ability to do the job. But when you throw it out there to reach the number that you want to reach, you know, as you said, to make the math doable and to do it the way she suggested, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a type of quota? And I'm not anti the, the thought at all because what you did was you laid it out. Here's all you have to do. For every other hire, go out there and hire one of these very qualified females to do this job. And that's what Janice was saying. It's a mindset. Exactly. That's a great point. It's a mindset. And we have, with all of these educated people now and females and more women in MBA programs, the pool of applicants is so much broader now. It's not not that difficult for you to find a qualified female.
1: Something she mentioned that I think is a it's definitely a problem that that holds back women, but it holds back minorities. It holds back anybody who hasn't done something before. Is a lot of times these S and P five hundred, right? They are interested. They want a CEO who's already done this before,
2: and it's like experience, right? And how do you get the experience, uh, right?
1: By doing, you know. So it's, I, I think, and, and I mean, you know, this. I we've talked a lot about. I think we're both much more believers in does somebody have the capacity do they have the right personality are they are they the right type of person to achieve this are they the type of person that's going to learn and grow those things at the end of the day at least in my opinion running a company those matter so much more than whether or not somebody's done it before because i've met plenty of people who've done something before who i wouldn't want to hire to do that thing you know because because they have a way they want to do it and and maybe that's not what your company needs. It needs a new perspective. It needs a non-jaded perspective. Um, you know, So I think there's, there's a merit to that just on the whole. But obviously in this particular situation, when you're getting into, there's such a small percentage of the S&P 500 that have a female CEO. Right. You're never going to get the gender parity by only hiring people who've been a CEO before. It just doesn't. You have to bring in new people into the ranks. Uh, It's the only way it works. And that's not just the chief executive. It's everybody who's in company leadership. You have to take a chance on the people that show the best potential.
2: But as the talent pool grows and more diversity takes place and more people get the opportunity to do things, then it's just hopefully it gets the ball rolling, which is, I think, what what we were discussing um, with Janice, you know, is that. It's all moving in the right direction and it can very quickly get to where it probably should be based on on the numbers because of the talent pool. It's like everybody says, well, you know, there were no women in Congress, you know, before the 20th century, right? Women didn't have the right to vote. But once women got the right to vote, then we started seeing that happen. And as women then had jobs, education and jobs opened up to them that typically led to a career in politics, we saw that all all of a sudden we had our first female mayors. We had our first female governors and our first female senators. You know, And so we're seeing the same thing, I think, taking place here in business. As more women go to college and then more women enter the business field and then they go get the MBA and then all of a sudden they are now serving in those positions from which CEOs are picked. We're going to see more women picked as CEOs of companies because there are more women doing those jobs that you need to do to be picked as a CEO. The other thing I think that's
1: important to mention, uh, we haven't, we just really haven't had an opportunity to talk about this though, is the, you know, there's such a large percentage of the population out there, I think, Lance, and, and I'll be real honest, it probably wasn't that many years ago that I was part of this segment of the population, not necessarily doesn't believe that having more women in leadership is a good thing but doesn't see the need to push, you know, or doesn't see it as an issue. In other words, it's kind of like this mindset, right? That it's, you know, sure it'd be nice if there was more, but I don't know why we need to spend time on that. And I think that's part of what to me is powerful about this is it's like, well, there is a good reason, even if it's not the humanitarian one, there's the financial reason. right? There, There's good evidence to suggest that you will make more money By doing this, by being a more diverse company, not just in gender, but in other ways as well. And if I I don't know what else you tell them other than, you know, hopefully now, if you felt like it was the right thing to do, but you didn't feel like it was necessarily something that you needed to spend time on, there's a good reason to spend the time on it. Um, The other thing that I think is really important too, and you and I talked a little bit about this off air, is this whole idea. And I'm not, I wanna be real clear. I'm not telling women what I think they should do. I'm just making a, a generalized comment here about I really think it's important um, for people to be willing to be the first because that's the only way this gets better. To to those of you out there listening, right, who who maybe are considering this type of career path, I would love for you to be able to go, right, to a company where you can see people like you and you know they're committed to this, But by God, if you're given an opportunity at a place that isn't like that, you're being provided the opportunity to live that change. And that's not for everybody. So I'm not necessarily saying that everybody has to take advantage of it, but
2: that's part of why. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Be a trailblazer, be a pioneer. Open the doors for the people that are coming behind you. And and Janice kind of mentioned that when she said that. Yeah. And I can't remember the lady's name. I'm sorry. But she said, I felt like as I was opening a door for myself, I was pulling a woman behind me through the door. Right. And that's, I think, what you're headed towards there. Exactly. Is that don't be afraid to step out. Somebody has to be the
1: one opening the door. That's right. You know, it's fine if you're going to take somebody else's hand and that's good. But at the same time. You know, if the opportunity presents itself, don't say no just because, just because you'd be the one opening the door. If you're not comfortable with it, if it, if it if you don't see yourself being able to handle that, that's a different thing. But but be willing to be the one that opens the door and bring one behind you because that is how it gets better. I think people see these things and they they experience these things, and I've seen people who change their minds about these things, maybe not consciously but subconsciously, because they live that experience and they realize. This really what this really is better, you know. And the only way that happens is if if we're all committed to it. Um and we all have to be equally committed to it cuz the place it's needed the most is in the companies where it's not happening. Exactly. You know, that's where it's the most essential. We have to keep it going in the places where it's doing well, but at the same time, we've got to push it along in the places that it's not.
2: Very well said.
1: So, Lance Part of making this happen, right? Mm-hmm. We're just talking about it. Part of making this happen is making sure that uh, people are part of this conversation, that they join in. And the reason that's important is because here at True Chat, we're pursuing a common goal, right? That is correct. And what it, what is that mission that we're
2: after? Well, True Chat's mission is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations.
1: Hopefully, we're getting that done. And the way that that's the most successful, those conversations are the most impactful. I was talking about it before, right? So we're trying to we're trying to live up to this. Is if we bring... New listeners, right? Exactly. New listeners, new perspectives. that's that's what's important. So if you're listening now, please invite somebody else to tune in. That's what makes all this that we're doing work. And how could they invite people to tune in Lance? This is a syndicated radio program, and it's a podcast. so there's a lot of different ways.
2: Well, if you're going to listen to us as a podcast, you can obviously find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or any place that fine podcasts are found. For The State of Us on True Chat in New York
1: City, I'm Justin T. Weller. And I'm Lance Jackson. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Be the change. Be sure to check out our website, thestateofus.org, for books, articles, and all the ways to tune in. thestateofus.org.